Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, brought to you as always by the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be part of the Next Level Brands community. Courses, resources, workshops, founder coaching, networking, and a whole lot more. Having a challenge with distributors, fundraising, or promotions? The Community Hub is fully searchable by keyword and can take you right to the answers you're seeking or one of your team members can help you find the info. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Steve Clear, and we have a treat for you. This is a new iteration of the podcast. We are catching up with one of our previous guests whose businesses, brands, and certainly personal lives have undergone some serious changes since we last spoke. We're calling these shows round two, and our first victim is my good friend Alex Baer, co-founder and CEO of Genius Juice, also a Shark Tank survivor and a BevNet Smoothie of the Year award winner. He is also the awesome host and creator of 15 Minutes of Fame podcast and a mover and shaker in the emerging health and wellness sector. Welcome to round two, Alex. Thanks, Steve, so much. So I got to make one correction. It's 15 Minutes of Genius, the uh, podcast. Oh, sorry, 15 yeah. Minutes of Genius. All, all good. Fame. Yeah, but that that, that that was a Freudian. That was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Seriously, we all we all get our fifteen minutes of fame, but that's actually where the name came from. I'm like, right. 15 minutes of fame, uh, minutes of genius. Can't get them all, Steve. Can't get them all. But I know, all, I know. Yeah, all, no genius here. Just you know, trying to trying to do it. Doing that's our awesome. best. So yeah. let's let's just start right there. So fifteen minutes of genius. You were not doing the podcast when you were on the show, which was like two years ago now, right? So right, pre-pandemic, didn't you have enough to do? I mean, what in the world were you thinking? (laughs) I really don't know. (laughs) No. And on top of that, I have another podcast called Friday Vibes, not to turn into a plug fest, but we're on uh, LinkedIn Live every Friday, 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time. And we also have the, and we were on Apple and Spotify. So, but going back to your question, I feel it's really important to build your brand however possible. And that it's, it doesn't have to be limited to just selling your product in the store and doing social media and then selling online. So I think like, number one, it's fun for me to do it. Like I really enjoy it. Right. I like bringing on entrepreneurs and hearing their story. And I also feel that it gives a lot back to the community as well, you know, by interviewing great people that, have experience, whether it's a consultant, an investor, a brand owner, or someone who you know was in the industry for CPG, I love that they get to share their story with all of our listeners. And then they there's a takeaway and they learn something, you know, from from the interview. So that's that's really the, I think the biggest driver for me is that obviously it gets the brand name out, you know, 15 minutes of genius and all this, and people can watch it, investors can see it. I might get more notoriety or more, you know, fame, quote unquote fame by having it. But at the end of the day, I'm really helping entrepreneurs get their word out and broadcast what they do and why they do it. So they, so people can hear their story and maybe they'll get some business out of it at the same time. Right. And they're always, always fun. I I think one of the things about what we're doing is, is the inspirational part of it, you know, informational and inspirational. So it's, it's both that storytelling so that fellow entrepreneurs out there can see, oh, other people have been through this, right? Right. You know, it's like, it's not, and, and by the way, I'm going to make it, 
right? So it's, I can, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And, and then the other part, I think, too, is also just the, the fact that you can go back, like I'll talk to people and they'll say something about distributors. I'm having a problem with a distributor or whatever. And I can go, oh, you know what? Don't want to plug it, but you can go back to this episode with so-and-so and he has got a whole story about dealing with UNFI and what happened. And, uh-huh. you know, and it, so it's practical. It's, you know, it's not theoretical, like, you know, oh, you know, woo woo, we want you to do this. It's, this is actually what happened to these people. And this exactly. is how they get their brands. It's like a resource library, you know, for different people that want to look it up. And uh, so it's a combination of hearing really great stories that are very inspiring to entrepreneurs, but also you just learn a lot. And I think that's like, you know, I think like what you do on your podcast here is you have a really wise or genius selection of people, right? Which is why you brought me on. But of but you're bring, you're of course you know you're bringing people that are in all walks of life within the CPG space or marketing space. Yeah. Whether they're an investor, whether they're a manufacturer, whether they're a brand owner, consultants, and I think having that kind of rich tapestry of different people really adds a lot of value to whoever's listening. If you if you go back and, and and thank you for that. If you go back to when this idea was sort of launched, you know, I was being told by people who are working in the production part of it that no, you really need to do a weekly show. And I'm going, ah, oh, come on, can't can't we do like every other week? I mean, you know, I know once a month is not you know whatever, but every week that's a commitment. I'm not sure I really want to make. And they say, oh, you want to get consistency and whatever else. And now it's it's like. Okay, there's so many good stories out there. There are so many emerging brands. Then you throw in folks from the branding world, folks from the packaging world. We've even had folks from regulatory mm-hmm. on the show, right? There's no problem filling up the 52 weeks. Not, not, not a problem. Not at all. Podcast is like a new, it's like it's very popular and it's a great way for brands to get the word out, right? So awesome yep. stuff. Have you have you talked thought about talking with people like I'm trying to get a buyer on the program and it's tough. Yeah, we've gotten buyers on yep. 15 minutes of genius. So we got we got Monica Coyle, who is our she was our buyer for Whole Foods. So oh, Whole Foods. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So she was like just the queen there. She's like amazing and so fun to work with. And she brings in a lot of like new items and she brought in all of our flavors, like before a lot of the other regions did. And then she moved to, to Austin, or at least she's work, She's working. Maybe it's she hasn't moved. I'm not sure. But she's definitely virtually or, or there uh, working out of the Whole Foods uh, global headquarters in Austin, Texas. So, And we also had, you know, Wade Yenny, um, the buyer for Jimbo's. We had the buyer for Earth right. Fair, Gavin Conkle. So, yeah, it's cool okay. to hear. It's cool to hear their perspective. I'll, I'll, sure. I'll let you do some introductions then, because that's one Absolutely. I want to tackle. We'll figure that out. Wade Yenny, oh. would, I'm, I'm, Wade Yenny in particular, he loves to go on podcasts. So, <laughs> that's yeah, what we want to hear. It, let's go back real quick, Alex. About obviously, you've had a tremendous amount of success with with Genius Juice, but when we did the podcast the first time, I think you were just you had taped Shark Tank. But it had not aired yet, so we couldn't really talk too much about it. Can you mm-hmm. just go back to that experience a little bit and, and talk about it for folks? Yeah, sure. I'll give kind of the uh, the shortcut version because everyone's heard kind of the Shark Tank, like, oh, it's great, it aired, I got a bunch of sales, and then there was a deal. Like, you know, I'll make it really, really short and sweet. So yeah, so we had our, I think the taping was December 2019, and then the actual show aired January 2020, but I couldn't talk a lot about it because I think I was only allowed to announce that it was going to be aired three weeks before the show. 
Mm-hmm. And I think we did our podcast. I think we did it before that. I can't remember. I think we did. Yeah. 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 So I couldn't say anything. I couldn't right. even tell you, you know? And so, yeah. So basically like we aired January 19th, 2020 and obviously crazy. Like we did a quarter million in sales in the first couple of days, you know? Yep. But I, I think the, the bigger benefit to us was all the people that reached out by email, like new retailers, right? More long-term growth. Right, right. Because you have the shark tank effect where you get sales right away, but it it dissipates, right? Like what I learned is a lot of the people on, a lot of the customers on shark tank are in areas of the country that they don't typically buy something like Genius Juice, right? right? Like not stereotyping parts of the country, but you know, if there's someone, let's say in Nebraska or Midwest, they're probably less likely to buy our product versus someone in LA, right? I think we can safely assume that. Yes. Yeah. But when they see it on Shark Tank, they want to try it. So they buy it, right? So I think what a lot of brands don't realize is there is a drop-off that's considerable after the airing of the episode because you're just not going to have the same kind of returning customer rate that you normally would have if you got people organically to your site, right? You know, someone who actually likes the product, they see it in the store, and then they buy it online. So, so that's something just to really mentally prepare for, for people that are going to be on Shark Tank, you know, for this next season. Yeah. And but but we got a lot of opportunities where people reached out, you know, for investment. You know, they wanted to invest in us, given that they saw the episode and they got excited. New retailers, you know, Costco and all these different guys that reached out. So I think the benefit was like getting on the map, getting awareness out there, and people emailing us to form a long-term relationship, which a lot of those relationships are still like in like in stone today, you know, two yeah. years later. Yeah. Good, good exposure. Well, exposure, right? I mean, so it's absolutely very, very important. And especially because people are interested, are interested in business or tend to be or new products or whatever you're working with. When Genius Juice got off the ground, and, and I know you were doing some stuff in 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 SoCal area and whatever in retail and D2C, and you had a business plan, probably. How did the business plan stack up against what actually happened? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard to actually hit all your projections, right? Like in your operating plan and your KPIs and all that. And I think like the one learning that I had is that it's better to, you know, under promise and over deliver as cliched of a, a quote that is. Because when you start having investors coming on, on board and we started raising, you know, a, a few million dollars, you know, starting in 2020, going right. into 2021, because of our exposure on Shark Tank, because of getting into new retailers, getting into Costco, getting into Albertsons, getting into bonds. So it became easier to raise capital, but you still don't want to be too rosy in your projections. You want to be careful and kind of taper expectations. So I think the biggest thing I learned is that we were targeting to do twice the amount in 2021 on what we actually did, because you know shit happens, right? In, in business, right? You get delayed. There's supply chain issues. A retailer says yes and says, I still, I'm still saying yes, but it's going to get pushed out to next year. Right. A lot, there's a lot of things that are outside of our control that can happen in this business, especially, you know, in the last year or two with all the supply chain issues and just retailers that were just so um, overloaded, right? Because of the pandemic, they were just not focusing on new items as much. So, yeah. So that's what we learned is just be really conservative about your projections. And so I would say that that did not go as planned. Uh, the other thing too is we obviously didn't see the big cost increases coming <laughs> either. Whoa! <laughs> like yeah. like that was like having a hundred 
you know, freighters lined up at the port of LA, you know, trying to get into the port. These are, it, these are, you know, look, these are historic times that we, we never experienced before. So we didn't really know what to expect. So the higher costs of everything, corrugate, plastic bottles, coconut, you know, uh, logistics, freighting across the world, right from Thailand to here, all that just went up like crazy. So, so yeah, I think you just have to learn how to adapt, right? And so we adapted, we raised our pricing, you know, at least 20% to just deal with all the supply chain issues that were happening. So, yeah, that's just been absolutely crazy. And and not even for simple products, right? But I mean, you're in a cold chain. International. International. (laughs) And, you know, and even at the retailer, you know, and it's a hard fought space and not a lot of it. And, you know, puts a whole, you know, puts a whole thing that brings it up. So how did uh, two things, Alex, how did you deal with the pandemic in the sense of the effect that pandemic had on your team and your organization? And then how did you deal with the supply chain thing on a global basis? What do you, what do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So with the, with the, I'll answer your second question first. So as far as the supply chain goes, we have just a great team. We actually have an operations person that was at Whole Foods you know, for a few years, she was with CD Ops, another really reputable operation group. And so she knew exactly what to do as far as ordering ahead of time and making sure that we're getting products in time or just in time, or at least with a, with a few weeks leeway. Just in time is kind of a strong word. It was at least a month ahead of time. So just having a great team is really what it comes down to. You got to have people that know what they're doing. They can have an attention to detail and they can pivot like really quickly. So like, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, having maybe an operations person that works at, at a Nestle or something may not be the right fit because they're used to steady supply and they're used to like big resources. We needed someone really scrappy that could pivot a lot in a moment's notice and make orders and change orders if needed on a moment's notice. And that's what our team did. That's what our team did and still does today. Yeah. Um, as far as going to your other question on the pandemic, nothing really hugely changed for us as far as our team. Obviously, everyone is virtual. Like we had a small office at a WeWork, you know, in El Segundo on like the 20th floor that we met. <laughs> it, you know, we called it, it wasn't, it wasn't a glorified office. It was just walking in and saying, this is the Genius Juice office for one day type deal. Yeah. And, but everything's virtual. I think we learned that, you know, we don't have to be together all the time to be strong. You know, we're all in different areas of the country. We're running the company from a laptop and a phone and it seemed to work. But the one thing that I felt that was missing, which, you know, cause I could be, you know, I, I love human connection. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a private person, but I also love to like be with people at the same time and at least right. feel that connection yep. is like, you want to be together. Like you want to get team meetings going. You want to like, you know, plan together and like project on where this company is going together and to have that nice, you know, kind of ethos and mentality of we are a team, we are one, let's make this happen together. Let's row the boat together and get there together. And I think a lot of that was missing in the last two years. So we had, a, we had a, it's funny, we had a, we had a dinner, a team dinner with like 15 people invited and it was going to be uh, mid-December. And then they obviously the whole thing got canceled because <laughs> right. of the Omicron virus. <laughs> Yeah, yeah just gone. kiboshed, you know. So, like, we are going to be getting together again, like in the spring, definitely at Expo West. We're all going to get together, yeah. have a team dinner now that the virus has subsided and is much lower. 
But yeah, team team growth, you know, team building and being together really has a, a positive effect on people mentally. And that's what was missing in the two years of the pandemic. Yeah, for sure. Wow. In in terms of, you know, kind of when you were on Shark Tank and whatever and thinking about, okay, walking out, what's the business going to be like and whatever, how different is the business than what you were thinking at that point in time? Yeah, I mean, the business is bigger. I mean, it's 10 times bigger than it was on Shark Tank as far as revenue goes. I think like if I had to just really think about it and compare, there's there's many things that are still the same, you know, that right. we still we still are on a mission to do exactly what we what we said on the show, you know, bring a better product to the mainstream, have a great product that tastes awesome, that's beneficial and functional and the genius name, like that's all still intact on the label and all that. But I think operationally we've become a more advanced company. Like we look at every detail of the budget and financials and you know, and I think yep. the biggest thing that really changed was going into the show, we were like, let's just expand this everywhere, you know, kind of mentality. Like, let's get genius out. Can we get into like, let's talk about Kroger, let's try to get into other retailers. And a lot of that got cut, by the way, from the final, the final yep. edit of the show. But I talked a lot more about where the brand could go beyond where we are now. And I think the Albertsons Vons Pavilions made the cut when I talked about that. But right. a lot didn't a lot didn't make the cut. You know, it was 55 minutes that turned into only 12 minutes on on, on air. Yep. So, but I think what's changed is this brand doesn't have to go everywhere to be successful, you know, at least for the next year or two. It doesn't have to go in every 7-Eleven, doesn't have oh, no. to go in every no. Kroger. And it's really power and velocity. That's yeah. what makes brands really succeed, is if you can do so well in the limited stores that you're in, whether it's 3,000 or 5,000, which is actually not big in these days, like three to 5,000 stores seems big, but it's not really huge. If you can get great velocity in those stores, then you can build a multi-million revenue business that's yeah. sustainable on top yeah. of that. Eventually, don't get me wrong, we do want to be in more conventional mass market accounts, but there's a time and a place for that. And there's a yep. strategy for that. And you have to have the right Go to market price point and strategy to succeed there and not lose money. Yeah, the the killer about that is that there's and, and not to, to confuse folks with a bunch of industry jargon, but yeah, <laughs> I, I worked with a company that was in in a marketing capacity where the sales guy would do his presentation, and his presentation was we added this many points of distribution this month, and everybody like yeah, oh yeah, this is awesome, or whatever else. And then meanwhile, I'm looking at the figures of the velocity. And going, wait a minute, you know, it's like, but we're not increasing our velocity at, you know, it's it's not sufficient enough to stay. And then the answer to that back from sales was, well, we, we introduced three new flavors at the store. Yeah, but the three original flavors aren't selling to maintain what, and now you just, you just took 25% of my customers and put them over to the new ones. It's like, no, this doesn't, and it, and it, and it didn't work. But people don't realize that, that not all distribution is, is good distribution, number one, and an increased velocity. Sales per point of distribution is the measurement. That's the KPI. What exactly. are we doing in every door? And if that's good, then you need to worry about the rest of it. That'll, it'll, it'll fall. The, the, other, the other doors will come. Exactly. Yeah. A, a yeah. lot of brands artificially try to, I've seen it so many times. It makes me honestly sick to my stomach. The more that I see it, where they launch and like, 3,000 new doors for Kroger or whatever, and nothing against Kroger. They're a great retailer, but maybe right. they're not ready for Kroger. Right. <laughs> and, or they're at a high price point, or no one knows 
they might they might know you in one geographic area, but they won't know you if you're in Ohio, right? You know, if you're a LA brand in Ohio, they may not know you and not buy you. So I think like, yeah, it's just really important to like, just be very methodical about where you launch because too many brands are adding door, like you just said, adding doors, adding SKUs to try to, to try to artificially increase their revenue month right. over month to satisfy investors. And it's what but, you want to do eventually. Yeah. You know, did, did you ever experience the negative PO, Alex, where when you went into distribution in a place and all of a sudden you got back the the sliding, oh, yeah. the sliding allowance? And oh, yeah. The, yeah the, I mean, it was the free, free fulfill on the, you know, two cases of store. What? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it raises a really good point is like, you know, you just got to, you know, you got to go into accounts that are going to be profitable and sustainable for you, even after all the trade spend. So like we look at, at least it's it's fun stuff. We look at our monthly close or PL and go by account, like this account, like Whole Foods, here's how much the revenue was. Here's how much the trade spend was. What is left? You know, is, is there anything left? Sometimes there's nothing left or there's negative. But the part that we learned about was we launched in the Publix you know, into 600 publixes in Florida. Right. This was in 2020. And we've never been in Florida before. You know, I, I've actually physically, I, I haven't been to Florida in 20 years. So I knew very little about Florida, <laughs> but the buyer reached out to us, you know, it kind of happened through Shark Tank in a way, like it was kind of this serendipitous thing where the buyer said, I'm discontinuing some other coconut products. I love to bring in Genius. And well, we can put you in 600 Florida stores. And I'm like, you know, what does most entrepreneurs do? Right. Like, hell yeah. yeah. Like, let's yeah. do this. And, you know, now I've learned just from these, you know, these experiences, like we went into Publix. It did great for the first month or two. It was on promotion. People got excited. They bought it. But then whenever it dropped from promotion, when, it's, when promotion stopped, the sales would just go down a lot. And so one thing that I didn't understand about some consumers that are out there is they're looking for deals like all the time. You bet. And, but they do buy big brands that have a lot of awareness, the naked juices and, you know, the Tyson chicken and all this, like they yep. buy those because they're low price, but ours, we came in at a dollar or $2 more than a naked juice. Is that going to convert over a customer at Publix that has no idea who we are? We're not in Florida. We have no presence in that region. Is that, is someone going to walk in and want to buy that. So that's right. that's that's the issue we had and then we got into a situation where we're like, okay, you know, the buyer needs us to get more volume. So we started putting it on promotion every month. And then you start losing money on every bottle. Oh, of course. So yeah. so, so we were smart enough where the relationship ended, you know, like between the buyer and us, we both decided, you know, this is not a not a sustainable way to run a company and and build your brand in Publix. So after about eight or nine months, you know, we got cut from the set, but it was for good reason because we just weren't ready and the price was too high. So that was a big learning for us and, and very humbling as well. Yeah, I, I, I find it amazing that it, in typical fashion, when you go to a retailer and you go on the shelf, the first thing they do is they want to do a typical 15% or 20% TPR on the product the first time it hits the shelf. So if somebody sees you and buys you at that point, when they come back four weeks, six weeks later to buy you, all of a sudden you're a buck, buck and a half more expensive. You're yeah. like, hey, wait a minute. What's it? And then they start looking around for the other one. 
I've never understood why buyers wanted other, you know, other than maybe, you know, but you know what I mean? It's, it's that if the consumer doesn't know what the price of the product is yesterday, then when you introduce it to them, why not introduce it to them at the price it's going to be? Then we roll along for a little while. Then we discount it to try to get some trial. And then we, you know, we go back. Exactly. 100% agree. It should be at the price that it's at. And then once there's a promotion, then it's yeah. like a treat and it, it gets people excited and want, they want to try it. But if they get, if they expect that higher, if they expect the lower price all the time, and that's the tone that was set when the brand launched, it's just yeah. a recipe. It's a recipe for disaster. Like right. And, yeah. and if you're on promotion 25 weeks out of the year, that's your actual price. That's yeah. not, right? you might as well that's just not lower your... it all the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the, the higher price is just something that happens in between promotions. Exactly. That's yeah. That's that's really really good. Let's talk for a quick minute about uh, along with that. And thanks for sharing that with us because that's a very in, incisive incisive lesson for folks who are thinking about getting into to Publix or any place else for that. Yeah, matter. and but, I think they're on the record. They're a great retailer. Like oh, I want to say that absolutely. Like like you know, don't take it as a negative thing. Like I think they're one of the be- one of the most best run conventional retailers in the country. Yeah. Like they have trucks deliver every day and all that. And, but yeah, you just, you just gotta like, you know, you gotta take your time and do it right. You know, and going kudos the, to you, they're not, they're not easy to get into. They're one of very the harder hard. places yeah. to get into. There's other places you can go knock on the door practically and get something, but, but down the line, you know, down the line, that's, that's one of those things that happens. Did you have anything, Alex, where I, I'm just going to pick it out of the air, but let's just say sort of an, oh shit moment. Did you have something happen with a cargo container or something or whatever that you guys had to really scramble to get around? It's a really good question. I mean, as mentioned, we never really had any major supply issues, which is ironic because we have a more complicated supply chain process, like getting everything from Thailand and like going, you know, across the water, which takes, you know, a month and then in the port, which is like backed up to, you know, literally all the way down to probably Mexico. I mean, it's just, I would say there wasn't really an oh, oh shit moment, but there was a lot of learnings about the way well, to run our know. business. I think probably the one that was just a, a breath of fresh or just kind of an awakening was we're not going to hit our projections for 2021. You know, we set out to do this really aggressive projection. We were uh, really banking on, you know, certain retailers to bring us on, on a, at a certain date. And those things got pushed back until 2022 yes. because of the complexities of COVID. So I would say, you know, going back to investors, even though they still believe in us and a lot of them are reinvesting in our new round, you know, that we, that we're, you know, just finishing up. But when you go back to an investor and say, Hey, I know I told you this when you invested, but I did this, it's, it's going to cause disappointment and they may question, you know, your operating ability to project. And if you're projecting for next year in 2023, Oh, yeah. They're going to say, is he really going to hit that? Because he already fell short in one year. So that was that was the biggest learning, which is just under promise, over deliver. Be really careful with your projections. Uh, I would say, man, like this is a really valuable advice for anyone raising capital. You do not want to go into a meeting and say, hey, you know, I'm going to do, let's say, a million this year and I'm going to do eight million next year or something. Because any sophisticated investor that knows the food and beverage space, and you're like, you know, this is on audio, but, you know, Steve's like laughing right now because oh, yeah. oh, we've yeah. seen this so many times. 
that you're going to lose so much credibility when you do 2.2 million, you know, the next year, not 8 million, right? Yeah, right. So you just got to be really careful in what you project and broadcast to the investor community, because if they're like a sophisticated investor and they see you fall short and you told them like it was going to be way higher, they don't forget, they don't forget that. Oh, no, no. They don't forget that ever. Yeah. And, the, and that credibility slips a little bit. I think, yeah, I, the Les Hine from Once Ventures was on the show and, and I asked him about because he runs a portfolio. And and I said, what do you want to see from, you know, from the decks and from the presentations? He said, well, I'll tell you what I want to see less of. When I go in, I don't need you to show me seven slides about the market. I know what the market is or I wouldn't be here. I want to know what you're going to be in the market. That's mm-hmm. what I want to know, right? And it was exactly. like, whoa, because I've done that. I mean, I remember the thing, of, you know, this is the exploding thing of, of label reading, Birkenstock wearing people who are going to be really interested in health and spent five or six slides. And they're like, yeah, yeah, buddy, that's that's all I invest in is healthy companies, okay? It's like, <laughs> bring me something that, that shows how I'm going to get my money back. Exactly. Tell me something I don't know, right? Right, tell me something I don't know. Yeah, yeah. you got to paint yeah. that picture too, right? Like, you know, I think when I put myself, I think what's really important for brands is you got to put yourself in the in the shoes of the investor. Like, what do they want to see, right? right. Like, what do they want to see? What kind of, what, what picture are you really painting about where you're going? And like, if I were an investor and I had a fund of $50 million or $100 million, I would obviously want to bet number one on the jockey, right? Like, I believe in this person. I believe in their team. Right. I love the product. But even with those two things, you know, the team and the product, it's all about the market opportunity. Like where, how are you going to grow in a market? And for me as an investor, you know, if I was investing in, I'm just making this up, you know, like a, like a yogurt company, right? Let's say I'm investing in a yogurt. Genius is not a yogurt company, but if I was investing in a yogurt company, I would say, how are you different? What is your mark? What is your go-to-market strategy? And how the hell are you going to compete with Chobani <laughs> yeah. and Forger and, you know, your right. and all these big guys, like, how are you going to break through and get to that consumer and get them to pick yours over there? So market right. differentiation and being unique is so, so important. And let's, let's go back and, and take some lessons. Chobani and Forger both took it out of Danon. All right. So there, there, there was a, there was a well, well-developed yogurt industry before those guys came along and yet they came in and totally changed it, changed it around. Yeah. And that's because I think, you know, it's not only about the product, but also the brand as well, like just the packaging, the branding, you know, offering something new, like, you know, Chobani was offering, you know, real fruit inside and all that cool. Like I remember seeing the fruit on the bottom when I bought Chobani, like I thought it was like, it was, it's still to this day, like, it seems like a premium brand when I see it. Yeah. It's it's amazing what they've done. Now they're getting into like oat milk and all this other stuff (laughs) like dairy alternatives, but it goes to show you that if you come out with something premium, that's a dollar more. If you have a great story and great packaging and a great product and something unique, people will buy it. Oh yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll get to it. The field, they will come. Alex, you touched a a little bit on the financing thing. Can you share with us a little bit about kind of that journey from, you know, from when you started and how you funded and kind of what's, what's gone on with that and how it's different now? Well, the man, it's a, it's a huge question, which hopefully I won't take the rest of this podcast and answering it. One thing that's become a real 
like a real driver for investors, especially like the VCs, mostly VC, private equity, we haven't really dealt with yet. But I, from my experience, VCs is they're looking at the margin. Like the margin has to be, you know, 40, 45, 50%, yeah. yep. you know, and even after trade spend, it still has to be like 30%. I mean, I, I met with a VC last week that said like, you know, 30% gross margin after freight and after trade spend. And so the, the, the bar, the bar is going up like a lot because they want to invest in brands that don't have to keep raising money over and over because their margins suck. Right. Right. Yep. So I think that's been like a huge part of the conversation when we're raising money, where we, you know, we're showing pathways to better margins, you know, scale, obviously, and efficiencies and all that, and, you know, supply chain efficiencies. If you don't have a story or if you're not currently having great margins or good to great, it's going to be very hard to raise money unless you have like, you know, a rocket ship, you know, like a, a nollipop or something like that. That's just yeah. tripling in size or 5x every single year, you know. So for, for 99% of brands, it's just really hard to raise capital if your margins are not there. So my advice is like for people listening, and there's a siren going by. See, bad margins creates the siren That's going good. by. Yeah, yeah. It's the neighborhood yeah. you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's something happened when I said bad margins. You know, <laughs> someone flipped out. But yeah, you just, you know, you want to architect your company from an early stage to have strong margins. And that's a mistake that we made in the early days and still even in the last, you know, the last year or two is our margins were not where it needed to be to be a sustainable, you know, company, right? right. You're building a company and a brand on top of building a product, right? You have to have a great company to investors to have, to actually um, entice them to invest in you. So I think that that's really important margin. The other thing, like I mentioned before, is you got to tell the story on how you're going to get this from 5 million to 20 million. Like they want to bet on you and they want to get, you know, 8X return, 10X return, 20X return. If they're investing in you and you're at a 20 million valuation, how are you going to get to a hundred million valuation and beyond? Yeah. So you got to really tell that long-term story of how am I going to grow this brand and actually get there and have a really believable story with a great team to get there. Besides that, I think, you know, differentiation with investors, having a differentiated product right. is really important as well. So I'd say those three, you know, having a great margin story, having a great unique product and having a growth potential to disrupt, I mean, the word disrupts overused, but to disrupt the category and bring something new that's going to generate a lot of uh, momentum. Did you have to did you have to lose any equity to put those deals together? You mean just in raising money? Yep. Oh yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean like if people invest you're you're definitely going to give up equity. We did a couple of convertible notes or a few. So yep. that's become really common is, you know, if you don't know your valuation or you're just still chugging along and you're not ready for a series A, then you do a convertible note you know, raise some cash there to keep going and give the company, you know, what it needs to keep growing into a series A. But yeah, you know, along the way, we brought in advisors, we brought in an entire advisory board, uh, we brought in consultants that have brought a lot of value to the company that, that have earned equity over, you know, a few years. Right. Yep. So yeah, these are all things that you want to do. And I think it, it's important, like, you know, if you're a brand founder, and you're, you're controlling the cap table, just don't be overly stingy about equity. Like don't be over, it's good to be careful, but not to be too greedy or stingy about it. Because if you have an opportunity to bring in someone really good, 
like on your team that could add a lot of value and they're asking for one point over a year or two years. Yeah. That person can revolutionize the way that you're, you know, the way that you're thinking about the company and about the direction that you go in. And, you know, we brought in advisors where they have advised things that has changed the entire course of the company for the better because they're thinking from the outside, right? Right, right. They're not too close to me. They're not a yes man. You know, a board of directors or advisory board, that's the best thing you can do because they're going to tell you what you need to hear, right? They're not just going to agree with you and go along with you all the time. Right. And I want them to be critical of me too. That's that's a good thing. Right, right. That's that's part of the part of the role they play. Or as a guy once told me, uh, owning 100% of nothing is nothing and owning 10% of 100 million is pretty good. Exactly. So, yeah. you, know, you figure out which way you want to go with this, but you're right. Yeah. Don't don't be afraid of dilution. You know, yeah. don't be afraid of dilution because if you want to grow a brand and unless your EBITDA is like, you know, 50% or something like that, like you're gonna, <laughs> it's going to it's which is like no one, you know, at least at, at an early stage like or legal. Yeah. <laughs> early, yeah, or you're, you know, stealing money from a bank or something. <laughs> You know, you just, you just, you know, you want to bring in the right partners. You want to bring in enough money to really lift your brand and your company. I mean, it takes, it takes a village. You got to get salespeople, managers, you got to do marketing, you know, in the stores to get people to buy it. You got to do trade shows. So don't be afraid of dilution, especially to bring in enough money to get to where you need to get to. Yeah. It's, it's something I think that when you're trying to when you're trying to build your brand, particularly where you have solopreneurs or whatever who've got who've got a product brand out there and they're trying to raise money, the first thing is you know that that they're trying to normally be conservative about it, right? Because they don't want to put down a big amount and they don't want to go into hock or they don't want to give up equity or whatever. But I will usually look at a pro forma from those folks and say, okay, we're going to have to do three x or five x to even be serious about it because you're going to go through that. You need the runway. You need the you need the money. You need the and by the way, if you can't justify this at this point, then we really need to look at your trajectory because you know and you know and valuations can go all over the map, but there's still a thing of you know here's here's our here's our projected profit and here's where it's going to be and those lines somewhere have got to cross right. Just yep. it has to happen. They work with it. Well, Alex, hey, you know what? It, it's it's we could go on and on for hours, but. Maybe we'll have to do a part three at some point in time. Yeah, the trilogy. The trilogy. I, to, I know. We do that. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll do it. And, and television. We should do television because, you know, we're photogenic and, you know, but. That's that's why this is an audio podcast, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Because I have a face for radio. You know, yeah. exactly. <laughs> same, um, same here. <laughs> we, we, we closed out at the beginning of, excuse me, at the end of the last program. We have our little segment we call Words to Grow By. And we, I did pull yours out of the archive, by the way, and it was passion. Okay. So I think that probably still holds true, you know, certain amount. More than, more than ever. Yeah. yeah more than, <laughs> but, but we wanted to get an update from you on, you know, basically advice and counsel to, to fellow entrepreneurs out there. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it, you know, offline, but really, you know, there's a quote that I, I really love and you know, and it's just really interesting over the um, holiday, you know, I had COVID. So I ended up watching the history of World War II, you know, thinking about World War II. And it's just, you know, with with FDR and everything he did to win the war, I really want to take a quote, you know, from him, which is, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself, right? So we have nothing to fear, except it's either except or but, but fear itself. Yes. And you know, and I think that really holds true today, just with entrepreneurs that, 
a lot of times people just get really, there's so many things to do and so many areas and arms that you have to handle when you're a solopreneur, like you said, and you get really fearful and you get paralyzed, right? You get paralyzed from like, yes, just going out there, like just do it, right? Like Nike, just do it and go out there and do it. And you're going to have a lot of learnings. You're probably going to make mistakes. You're not going to do it perfectly the first time around or even the second time around. So just, just don't, don't fear the fear and don't get paralyzed by it and just go for it because, you know, we have one life and this, this is a, when you grow a company, all it takes is one, all it takes is one. Like, you know, you could have 50 failures, you know, hopefully no one has 50 failures, but I'm sure it's happened. And, but if you have that one success and you really went for it, you can tell yourself that, that like, I went for it, I did it, I succeed. Or even if you didn't succeed, you went for it. And that really says a lot because when you create a brand, it's, it could take five, 10 years of your life to create a brand and grow it. Right. You have one chance. You have one shot. Do it right. Don't be afraid. Go out there and do it. But do it. Thanks, Alex. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time. And we'll be drinking some genius juice for sure. Also want to thank everybody else out there for joining us today. The podcast is sponsored by Next Level Brands Community. More information at nextlevelbrands.com. That's two X's. Our producer is Deborah Armstrong. Our production assistant is Consolata Wakuka. You're always grateful for the feedback and comments that we get from you guys. If you have an idea for a show or maybe a special guest you want to hear from, please feel free to let us know. And if you enjoy the show, please follow us. Take a minute to subscribe. And most important, refer us to your friends because after all, the more, the merrier. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.